America, my name is Ami Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the H1 bigotry, H1B bigotry of Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a Republican candidate running for president against Donald Trump in the primary. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy is making a name for himself by going hard against affirmative action. America should be a meritocracy. We don't need affirmative action. It's against American ideals. And I think he has a very confused notion of what American ideals are, <laughs> right? Well, um, um, American ideals for the last, for the, for the country's, uh, um, you know, duration has been, how do we keep black people down without screwing up our image? Like that is the American project, how to keep black people down, an exploited class down without screwing up the national image, right? And it's evolved this meritocratic shell that um, and veneer as a strategy for its real project, which is how to keep a racial order without screwing up the image of the nation. All right. So that's what defines America. America is a nation where the racial order um, needs uh, a beard. It needs a veneer to show that that's not what's going on. And actually addressing that and making America the nation that it purports to be would include act, uh, addressing the justice problems that have plagued the black community that originated and were policed by the United States government, state-sponsored terrorism, that has been the characteristic feature of the nation since the nation has been a nation. I'm not just talking about slavery and Jim Crow all the way up to the move bombing in 1987. And, you know, I was alive in 1987. I was cognizant in 1987. So it's not as if that was that long ago, at least for moi. So what I want to talk about is why we are so casual with having um, immigrants, especially brown immigrants and Asian immigrants and even African immigrants. My dad uh, came over on one of these visa programs, talk badly about the U.S. debt to African-Americans, descendants of slaves and those who were terrorized by Jim Crow. If you don't know, in 1965, there was an immigration act that allowed that lifted many of the quotas we have on non-white immigrants to the United States. Before 1965, there were, there were quotas on non-white immigrants that were, depending on who you talk to, unbecoming. We started lifting those quotas in 1965, and, you know, my dad got in. My dad's from Ghana. And he got in after 65 because of, you know, the lift on the, those quotas, right? So, and those quotas were lifted in 65. What else was going on in 65? Well, we were right in the middle of the civil rights movement. So the racial awakening that was powered by black descendants of slaves allowed my dad to come in here into the United States. Now, my mom was from South Carolina in 1965. She was putting her head down um, <laughs> and doing what she was told, like many other Negroes. Not every black person, make no mistake, not every black person who was alive during the civil rights movement was part of the dangerous part of the civil rights movement. A lot of them kind of what, did what they were told and what they were told by their elders was don't mess around with that civil rights movement. It'll, that, those, that'll get you shot. Um, they didn't want their head getting bashed open. They didn't want their kids uh, getting run over. So my mom was a, you know, a woo following little black girl. And my dad 
the only reason he was able to come over a few years later to go to the University of Oregon was because of the um, civil rights movement and then the Immigration Act of 1965. Now, later, in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a kind of more explicit um, amendment to the act called, and, uh, um, you know, Section H-1B, or 101-H-1B, and, and then allowed visas um, that are called H-1B visas. Now, these H-1B visas are for uh, foreign workers to come into the United States and work. They're from six years, but then you can get them re-upped every six years, and that's the way we kind of attract people. Um, I would, not attract. Everyone wants to come to the United States anyway because our stuff works. But how, with the way we call people who want to come to the United States to make sure that we only get the ones who are good for the GDP. So if you're good at math and... You, it doesn't matter if you're brown or Asian or whatever. If you're, if you're good at math or you could somehow plausibly make the case that you could be good for the United States GDP, we let you in here. But the problem is America is more than just the GDP, right? America, as it should be, is a, a nation of self-governance and the, and the conditions of self-governance. So you could be very good for the GDP, but actually be bad for securing the conditions of self-governance. So when you come in here and you participate in America, we ex I expect you to actually take on America's responsibility. And America's responsibility means taking on the debt that America has to the black people who have made it the case that you can even come here to begin with, right? So when you come to America, you take on America's debt. And America's debt is intergenerational, just like you being able to come here is intergenerational. For, for example, Vivek Ravaswamy's parents, one was a, a lawyer slash engineer, the other one's a doctor. And then they came here. And so, and he's a high caste uh, Indian. So now we have a high caste Indian of two professional parents who have spent generations, part of the caste duties, treating the poors like garbage coming to the United States and now have a son who succeeds in treating the poor and the stigmatized like garbage in India. Now they come to the United States and they treat the poor and the stigmatized in the United States like garbage. And that's, uh, so we talk about, so we, you could say this story about like, well, you know, we come here with nothing and then we survived because of, 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 of our work ethic. Yeah, you survived by becoming the worst kind of American. By the way, Shawa Swam uh, Sawant is like an anomaly to this trope, and I, I kind of want to get into her head. I'd love to have like a one-on-one -on -one talk with her about how she became what I consider the model minority. You come here and then um, take on the justice claims of the losing side. Most people don't immigrate to the United States to assimilate into the losing team. Yeah, Shawa Sawant did, and I appreciate her for that, and I think we need to, I'd like to talk to her, uh, you know negro to negro or woman to woman whatever about like how she escaped that i the identity but anyway ramaswamy didn't he <laughs> like bobby jindal and nikki haley um that class comes here and treats black people like garbage because they know that that really is the american way and the american way is to do it with the veneer of meritocracy or the veneer of something else right you could do it with the veneer of feminism either like either way, as long as you treat black people like garbage and to some extent, working class people in general, you could do it any way you like. You can do it any way you like. Um, so some people will even do it under the veneer of anti-racism. Um, anti for example, Ebony Williams can 
uh, be a very good American by uh, saying that bus drivers are like not below her. Um, and, and, and that she wouldn't deign to date one. All right, so there are lots of ways to poop on the stigmatized and working class, stigmatized communities and working class, and to realize yourself as an American while doing it. In fact, when you stick up for the working class and you stick up for black people, they start looking at you like you're some sort of non-American, like you're some sort of communist or something like that. Um, but actually, so you have all of these brown people pooping on black people in order to prove their American identity and get paid doing so. And that, I think, is a problem. You get paid to come here and treat black people like garbage. I do not appreciate that. And we, the first thing folks like Brahma Swami should say is like, they should take the Ann Coulter line about like, we owe black people. Especially if you came here on something like an H1, uh, H1B visa or um, passed the 1965 um, Immigration Act, because you really do owe your existence as American to black people. You really do owe your existence um, as an American to black people. And the culture you came here with, you have an intact family, a parents with two professional degrees. How many descendants of slaves have an intact family and um, parents with two professional degrees? Black people. How many people in your audience have parents, have Huxtable parents? Huxtable have parents with, um, that are in, that are together and have two professional degrees. If you, come here with, if you come here with nothing in your wallet except an intact family and parents with uh, professional degrees, networked to communities of other people of your same ethnicity with intact families and parents with professional degrees, you are already, if you come here with nothing in your wallet, you're already light years ahead of black descendants of slaves. Black descendants of slaves, we're talking about generations of illiteracy. We're talking about uh, the quality of degradation to family life that would, like, is a horror show. And, I'll, you know, some people say I'm speaking out of school because respectability politics is supposed to pretend that the black family is this wonderful institution. No, the black family is a mess. And the black family is a mess because it was terrorized. It was terrorized. Um, as an institution, I mean, you got family, talk about family separation at the border. No, family separation started with slavery and then with Jim Crow, with black fathers just getting run out or lynched. And then with um, any black man, like, threatening his, either his livelihood or his life. And then if men are supposed to, in some sort of American identity, protect and provide for their spouses, black men couldn't even do that. So the black family is already kind of a disaster on its own term, trying to figure out like how to make meaning out of life in America. But, and I say when um, men couldn't protect women, I'm saying that any light-skinned light black person you see is a product of rape. Any light-skinned black person you see over a certain age is a product of rape. And it's just known, right? It's just known. Now, Thomas Jefferson, our founding fathers, raped Sally Hemings, and Sally Hemings herself was a product of rape. Thomas Jefferson's stepfather raped Sally Hemings' mother. So any black person, it was just normalized rape, because you have to understand, up until the 50s, 75% um, of the southern black workforce, which is where a lot of people lived up until the 50s, and 60% of the nation's workforce were either farm workers or domestic servants. And if you're a domestic servant, and like this is like to say this is before me too is to um overstate the case 
like domestic servants were getting raped with impunity up until like 10 minutes ago <laughs> uh, up until a generation ago every light-skinned black person of a certain age you see is known to be a product of rape even like my mom's light-skinned and her last name is graham from south carolina you also know you all know who else is like um name is graham the senator from south carolina lindsey graham so lindsey graham and my my mom's family both relatively light-skinned and uh you know we all know that they deep down they all have the same granddaddy who took his liberties and his rights and you know raped the whole lot of them so what it is to be black in america is already to have like really 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 kind of dicey family relations right and one another reason why the black family was a target for white supremacy is that it's a, a seat of autonomy and i think it's a very important seat of autonomy um, because community is just networked families Com community is networked families like getting along and working together you don't have a community that's abstracted from a family you don't have a real community or a centered community that's abstracted for a family so you have to you have to somehow bleach black families or assault black families in order to actually make sure that there's no black self-determination that might just kind of erupt because if you have black families autonomous families then you could have autonomous networked families and then you could have black communities but without black property and black autonomous families then there's no there's not going to be any sort of black movement and this is why the feminist movement loves um black people because if you just try to pull black women away from black men like you're not going to get a real um you're, you're not going to get a real black movement it, it, there's a way in which black women uh, there's a certain set of black women who found a way to kind of pitch themselves to the whites as a race onto themselves <laughs> and that way they can all degree, agree that black men are trash and then uh, it'll work out I you know I'll leave them to their cats but there is there is a way in which that's the case so if you come here with an intact family you already have what black people deserve but don't have if you come here with an intact family and parents with like college education, you already have what black people deserve but don't have. Right? Life is intergenerational. Property is intergenerational, especially commercial property is intergenerational. Culture is intergenerational. It took me 10 years of studying to figure out what marriage means. And I've, that's why I do so many videos on, on relationships and subjects, because it took me 10 years of studying to, because it's part of a culture. But if you see, because I didn't have a daddy, my mom, um, you know, kind of fell into the liberal kind of mindset in the 80s and decided that if, her mom, if, a, if a guy's not making her happy or not earning enough, she should divorce him. So she divorced my dad. Now, my dad was very confused by this because his dad in Ghana had like four wives, like at the same time, and they were all kind of happy. So like he assumed that like in the United States, you get one wife and it just kind of works. But then the liberals took over and, and that kind of um, uh, was distorted. And here's the deal. It's really unfortunate that, and I'll say this, it's really unfortunate that black people were herded into the political party full of liberals. <laughs> Because liberals don't believe in institutions, so they'll screw up any institution that you kind of let them metastasize into. So they screwed up the black family. Um, they screwed up the black family. And since black people don't have resources or the cultural institutions to autonomously counter that narrative, 
we pretend that we're autonomous. We don't have autonomy. We don't have like, we, like, like we fell for it. We fell for it. And now I, I'm of the generation of Gen Xers and you know, I'm a late Gen X, uh, but like the millennials are the same about parents who just got divorced just cause that was the thing to do at the time. If you weren't happy with your man and what happened and what, and what black people were truly happy because it was being black in America, the answer was to divorce your husband. <laughs> and, and then the liberals told them that it wouldn't affect the kids. And it turns out it totally affects the kids. I, I would have been better off if I'd grown up also with my dad. Or the liberals would say like, well, you know, you could work out. Like, I think at the time it was, it was, um, uh, every other weekend, but in LA, that's ridiculous. And that's ridiculous anyway. Plus there is no 50, 50 parenting. Your parenting is everyone's a hundred percent. And if everyone's not a hundred percent, you are setting yourself up for a statistical, like a disadvantage for everything. There is no 50, 50 parenting. It's all parents, both parents, hundred percent of the time, preferably with grandparents, but grand black people don't have grandparents because grandparents who are alive, because guess what? They died because of the stress of dealing with, um, uh, slavery and Jim Crow. So you owe black people who are alive today through America because America is what killed their grandparents. America is what screwed up their families. So if you come here with an intact family, you have to understand the quality of advantages you have over American descendants of slaves. Like if American descendants of slaves are really doing well, if they had intact families, if they had commercial property, if they had like a represent, like, uh, like a high quality of education and autonomous culture, then I could see the, um, I could see the argument for reparations being a little bit less clear, but not only is it we can point to the historical harms that were licensed by the government. We could see the results and the results are not great. The results are not great. Black people are not thriving in the United States at the family level. They're not thriving at the, at the property level. They're not thriving at the education level. They're not thriving in the United States. And the way to thrive in the United States is to come from a culture that teaches you the skills, for example, how to be married. Like I said, 10 years, it spent me to figure out how to, how to like, studying before I got married, because I, I knew one thing when I got married, I did not, I was not going to get divorced. My children were going to see me every day um, for a long time, and I knew that. But I also knew that I didn't know how to actually, you know, marry someone and not get divorced. Me, I'd like, I'll be, I'd, Left to my own devices, it would be me and, like I said, Ebony K. Williams 25 years ago. Um, and then what happens if I, for some reason, if for some reason she gets confused and marries me, she divorces me, right? So black people don't, like we don't have the autonomous culture to sustain these institutions. We don't, and that's why I do so many videos about what marriage is for. By the way, what marriage is for is because it gives you a, a quality of, of freedom that can only come from knowing that the other person is with you no matter what. Right? So when they forsake leaving you, they actually, it allows you to be who you are in a different way. Because no matter what, you know that you're always going to have a whole other person to help you become the we that you're going to become.
But so marriage isn't a business relationship. It's not a contract. It's not anything because contracts are about alienable goods. Kids are not alienable goods. You can't like, yeah. So anyway, I'll do, I'm going to do another show about why divorce is bad and how we should make it harder to get and also just in, stop incentivizing bad marriages. For example, you should cap, cap um, uh, alimony at the median income of the United States worker. Also, you should cap child support at 900 bucks a month, which is what middle class children, uh, families spend on each child, 900 bucks per month per child. And so like there are all these other things you could do to make marry, gold digging less, less attractive. But I'm going to, uh, but this video is about how these immigrants who come with a lot come here and then immediately start pissing on black Americans who have so little and are so vulnerable and, are, and have so little and have so vulnerable because they were targeted for almost genocide, practically genocide um, by the United States government. But now, you know, I, I do better with a family. I, I do better. If you know where your four grandparents are, if you have four grandparents are listening to this, you are not black. You are, I strongly suspect you're not black. I strongly suspect you're not black. And that has everything to do with the stress of black life. And that has everything to do with the access to black life. If you own commercial property, I strong, and are listening to this, I strongly suspect you are not black. And that has everything to do with um, the energy, because commercial property is something that people own through like the accumulation of assets through a generation in the United States or the accumulation of culture, the accumulation of culture. Like there aren't too many people who own a lot of commercial property whose parents are divorced. Um, and whose grandparents where the money originated were divorced too. So like you have to understand that what black, what America did to culture in the United States to black culture and, and undermined the ability of native black, foundational black Americans, Americans, African American descendants of slaves, ability to fight the poisoning of our culture has, um, is expressed in all manners of black life, including marriage rates, including educational attainment, including commercial property holdings. Um, including including home ownership, and I think we need to honor that and make them whole by securing them assets, assets. Because if you secure black people assets, then they could actually form autonomous institutions, starting with the family that are themselves secure, and then autonomous cultural institutions, so that we don't have to imbibe cultural uh, commercial media in order to get our ideas about how to be and what freedom looks like. Because you imbibe commercial media about what uh, um, ideas about how to be and what freedom looks like. Commercial media is there to sell you stuff. So there's going to be a reason why our, you know, our, our understanding of freedom is going to be the freedom of a mercenary. Right? And, and, and the, the quality of life of a mercenary, because that's, if you get your understanding of what it means to be a, a person from a commercial culture, they're going to 
like you're going to think about what it means to be free in a person as someone who can consume stuff that they want to sell. And you're going to index your freedom from, to, your index, to your ability to consume. And that's a problem. When freedom is really about how to produce, but producing takes money and it takes assets and it takes a quality of coordination in an advanced economy. And you don't even have the culture to um, sustain a marriage. And you could tell yourself some sort of story about how, well, you know, although the single parenthood rate in the United States and black America is abysmal, it has nothing to do with Jim Crow and what black people have done for survival. But you'd be lying. Like there would be more together black couples without the terrorism of slavery and Jim Crow we would have had the cultural institutions to inoculate ourselves against the liberalism of the 70s and 80s, which just told black people, told everybody to, um, to just divorce if you feel like it. But since black people didn't have the independent cultural institutions to, to actually hold the families together, it actually just it, it, it metastasized. It, it went rampant. It, it, there's a very fecund ideology in the, the black community that just kind of divorce if you don't feel like it. If you feel like it. And, you know, this hit black women especially hard for a different reason, but that's tied to um, just kind of some gender entitlements of, of women that I don't want to get into right now. I can get into it in a different video. I'm going to do a, a, a video about how, like, even first wave feminists were really, 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 really dicey. Um, but that's not, I'm not going to do that video for a while. Anyway. Don't come to the United States with all these advantages and then piss on black people. Especially since the work, the slim work that black people were able to do, that they leveraged, even leveraging their bodies, is the only reason you could come here at all. All right. Thank you for your time. I will see you. Oh, by the way, if you appreciate what I am um saying go to www.funkyacademic.com kick in 5 15 or 50 dollars a month i think you should because you're going to get this is like my, my life is better the more people hear these arguments um so i don't have a membership tier because like, i don't really need the money i need everyone to hear these arguments so that the culture gets better but everything costs this is America. So if you appreciate what I'm doing, go to www.funkyacademic.com, kick in $5, $15, $50 a month, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Two shows a week, one on relationships narrowed, and then the other one's on, on, on politics. Look, assets, culture, it's intergenerational. The intergenerational legacy for black Americans is one of being targeted for terror. And it screwed up all of our institutions. We need to admit that our institutions are screwed up. And then we could actually figure out who screwed them up. And it's not hard to figure out who screwed them up. And just because you might be good for the U.S. economy and we let you in, doesn't mean that you're good for America. Because America is more than the U.S. economy. America is for self-governance. And you are undermining the conditions of self-governance when you um, deny reparations and... and undermine black justice claims to be made whole in the United States. Thank you for your time. I will see you next week. Peace.